And welcome everyone to Small Biz Matters here in the studios of Triple H 100.1 FM. We are live. I am live, but as I'm sure you're all getting used to around the country with all community and other radio stations, all of the guests are phoning in. And that's what we've got happening today. That's right. Here at Triple H, we're all about looking after one another and looking after our community. And so one of the ways we're doing that is keeping everyone at arm's length, but that's good because we've still got that expertise. Today is a jam-packed show. We're going to be talking to Dana Lightbody, who is the CEO of the Leadership Institute to begin with, to talk all about how you can lead from the front, uh, what sort of skills and requirements and, I guess, ways that you can increase your expertise in order to be a great leader as a small business owner, but also in the small business community in which you are around, particularly if you're female. Uh, It is one of those things where women struggle, some of us, with uh, becoming leaders in our community or becoming leaders in our business. Um, And and it's one of those things that we need to constantly be updating our skills on. Dana's going to be sharing that with us today. Also, later in the program at 9.30, stay with us because we're going to be talking to to Lalette Kalasia, who is the CEO of All That Counts. And uh, she's going to be talking us through the small business stimulus package that was announced a few days ago by the government, something that is advantageous to all small business business owners out there and you need to know how to best take advantage of it. So firstly, let's talk about leadership. It's a bit topical, but at the moment, it's kind of all for the wrong reasons in the current climate. But focusing back on small business owners being lifelong learners, let's learn about how to develop leadership skills. What does it mean to be a real leader in your business? Is it possible to learn these practical skills quickly or does it take years of real life experience in order to lead from the front? Who better to ask for advice than the CEO of the Leadership Institute, Dana Lightbody? The Institute's aim is to create a singular point of contact for all leaders, regardless of industry, and it can be lonely at the top. Whatever industry you're in, leadership is universal. Welcome to the show, Dana. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the program and thank you once again for uh, not only have you had to battle the the not being able to be live on air, but also battle Sydney traffic. So (laughs) thanks for sticking with us. I'm really thrilled to have you on the program because it's not a subject that we've talked a lot about on Small Biz Matters over the years, but it is something that is absolutely crucial when it comes to running a small business. Now, just to begin with, tell me in your mind what is the definition of a true leader? I think the definition of a true leader is someone who knows exactly who they are, what they're about um, and what they stand for and they are able to clearly communicate that to others around them. So obviously if you're a leader of a small business, everything about the business is you. Um, So people have to understand your vision and your drive and you need to be able to bring them along with you um, and stay true to who you are in that journey. It's something we talk a lot about when we're talking about sales and marketing and when we're talking about being online and having social media presence is about being genuine. But do you think that genuitivity, which is a word I just made up right there and then, uh, do you think being genuine is important for leadership qualities as well? Um, we actually do a whole event on this. It's called Authentic Leadership. So a genu- genuine ability, as you, as you put it. Um, authenticity, being, knowing and understanding who you are, I think is absolutely crucial because people can smell BS a mile away. And if you're trying to be someone that you're not, 
they'll it'll come across as false, false and and schmarmy, um, and you'll have to start leading with uh, authoritarianness. You need to be autocratic and directive rather than um, embracing and getting the best out of your people if you're not who you are. Because the people who like and are attracted to who you are will want to do good work for you. Um, and authenticity is not like, it's not about using, well, I'm genuinely just a kind of a, a shit person, so yeah, suck it up. Um, it's about knowing what your best qualities are as, as a leader and as an individual and making sure that other people know what they are and using them. So how do you develop those skills? Because I'm as you were talking there, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, we've all known plenty of leaders out there who I guess do uh, lead in a dictatorial way. How do you, I guess, temper that aspect of being a leader but then find the balance between being a little bit dictatorial because, you know, innately you need to be that if you're going to be leading other people? And then how do you find the balance between that and genuinely caring for those that you're leading? What's the best methodology to sort of find that balance? I think if you set your values from the outset, and this is something we didn't do when we started our company, is we didn't set our values, so we didn't know what we stood for. So I kind of, in my head, thought about, I knew kind of who I was, but once we set our values and we put it on the wall for everyone to see, um, then it's very clear what you're about and then you can start linking behaviour to the values. Um, so a good example of this is um, one of our uh, values is initiative, right? So whenever someone comes to me and says, I don't know how to do this, I don't know, it's too hard, what should I do? You go, well, you go away and you give me three options and come back and tell me which one you think we should do and we'll talk it through. Um, and because initiative is one of our values, you can just point to it and go, is what you just presented to me initiative? No. So go back, think about how you would solve it and come back to me. So in a- that's how you go about creating a culture that you like and want to be a part of. So in a practical sense, uh, are you talking about creating those values almost before you've got those that you lead? And when I say those that you lead, I, I'm trying to steer away from saying that anybody who doesn't have staff is not a leader. That's I'm trying to instill in people that uh, leadership skills go beyond just having a company with employees. At what point, I know you said at the beginning of the journey, but that, that's quite difficult to come up with your values right at the beginning of starting a business. Is it an evolving process, creating those values and then sticking to them? Or is it something that you really have to sit down with the butcher paper, figure out, and then go? Look, I'm not saying that anyone who has a business can't um, set their values now. We were, I was three years in before we set our values. And what happened at that point, and I thought I was pretty good before then, um, at that point, we people started self-selecting out because I was then holding them to account to values that I held dear, but not necessarily values that they held dear. And the people that then selected in knew and understood the values from the outset and were okay with them. So I'm not saying you have to start do it right at the beginning, but I think if you are having trouble with staff or you're like, I just, they're so lazy or 
Um, they're not hitting their KPIs or um, if you're a tradie, the job was supposed to be done at this week and it's now three weeks overdue and he just doesn't seem to care. Or whatever the problem is, it's probably because your expectations uh, are not clear and that people who have selected in have done a great job at selling themselves at the interview, but they're not really the people that you want around. And once you start holding them accountable to values um, and your values, your KPIs are related to your values, they'll start self-selecting out or you'll have a means to select them out and fill your company with people that care about your vision and your drive. That's really good advice, actually. I like the fact that it's not something that um, it's an important part of the employment process, really. And it's but it's not something that you can necessarily see immediately. Use it and and to use it as part of your KPIs and inject those values into what your expectations are. Do you think being one of the aspects of being a true leader is setting expectations of those people that you lead? A hundred percent. I'm a big advocate, anyone who's ever read anything that I've ever written, I'm a big advocate of Brene Brown's work. Um, and the one thing I took away from her is clear is kind. Um, and the other thing is that if you approach every individual from the outset with the, uh, the mode that they are doing the best that they can, your conversations are a lot difficult, uh, a lot easier because... If you think that this person is doing their best, but their best isn't very good, it's not that they are they don't like you or they're lazy or they're not trying or um, it's to get back at you for something. That is their level best. It's just not the best that you want. So if you're very clear about what your expectations are and their best isn't meeting that, then that's okay and then you can help them select out. Now, can I ask? But if it's very unclear and you're going, I'm so peeved, they're just not trying hard enough, why are they so lazy? Then it's it's not a productive conversation, at least to tension, and in a small workplace, really top, toxic environment. Actually, you raise a good... It's the undercurrent of why aren't you working hard enough? Yeah, you raise a really good point there, actually, in relation to uh, the fact that it's a toxic environment if you haven't set the standards and in a way you're always getting this pushback because they're not sure of what standards they need to meet or is there's, there's no clarity with what the expectations are. It's almost a two-way street, isn't it, in that way? Leadership is a two-way street? Oh, definitely, because maybe, uh, I don't know, Paul was, was an amazing performer and now he's not performing as well. And you're secretly peeved and going, come on, mate, what's up? But you're not saying it. Then Paul doesn't know you're upset. He might know at the back of his mind that his performance slipped. But, you know, maybe something's going on at home. Um, And if you have that conversation that says, your deadline was here, you've met it all these times, and now you're behind, is there something we can work together? Can I help you with something? Um, And it could be as easy as, my mum's sick, I'm really struggling to try and get her to hospital or whatever and then get to work and, and you go, okay, on those days, you work from home. And then you've got a productive, trusting relationship where you understand that their life exists outside of the workplace and you're making allowances for whatever they're doing, but your expectations on delivery are still clear. 
Yeah, and that's a really good point, actually, the fact that um, setting the expectations but being flexible as well and understanding, I like what you made, the point you made there about the fact that we're all humans and that we do have lives outside of work because as small business owners sometimes because the small business is 100% us and, and it takes over our entire life, we shouldn't expect the people around the business uh, for it to be their bus- their life as well. That's That's just unrealistic. Yeah, I've got a girlfriend who works in a, um, a bigger small business. I think they've got about 50 staff. Um, and she's got a toddler. Her partner has left her. She's now a single mother. And their opening hours are 8.30 to 5.30. And she is exhausted because she's got to get to daycare before 7, rush to the office, leave at 5. They shut at 6. So she's got this, like, Massive stress of time, um, and they are completely inflexible with adjusting her working hours. And she's like, okay, can I leave an hour early and work an hour from home at night? And they're like, no, that's not how we work. And she's their number one performer. And this, like, rigid mindset that work is, well, in this case, 8.30, 5.30, um, is they're going to lose their star performer for no reason other than that's the way we've already done it, always done it. But not sitting down with her and going, how can we help you make this work? And in the end, they're going to lose potentially their star performer, which makes no sense. Now, I just want to ask you as well, speaking of, of women in leadership positions and, and perhaps your friend who may one, her, one day herself be a leader, I want to talk to you about this notion that the gender gap in terms of leadership is... Um, is there? I mean, if we look at statistically, uh, women obviously not having those high-level positions um, in nearly as many frequ- as much frequency as men. Is this something that's a hangover from previous years? Is the gender gap actually closing in your experience as an expert in leadership, or is it still something that we as a society need to strive for and have expectations of? I think if you're a numbers person. The statistics are blatantly clear. The gender gap is not closing. In fact, it's not moving. Um, We've got eight female CEOs in the ASX Top 200, um, and that doesn't look like it's increasing anytime soon. Um, We've got movement on the board level, but not particularly fast. It's definitely not uh, balanced. It's not 50%. Um, And while... Some really big companies are making progress. Um, small companies are not. And I know that there's a lot of reasons for that. Because, And one of those reasons is that maternity leave is expensive. Um, and it's not supported by the government in a, in a means that a woman will can take six months to a year out of, out of work. Um, so small businesses will shy away from, from hiring women that they think are going to have children because... It's just expensive. Um, so I think statistically and across the board, we can see just by the numbers, it's not moving. So in terms of um, the, 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 the employment factor, not only are women uh, losing that employment time at the peak of their career because they are having children and looking after young children, but also by the sounds of it, statistically, they're not being employed uh, say those five or six years before childbearing age of what's n- normal these days, because people are concerned that they're going to take those couple of years out 
Um, and, and so that's a legitimate concern in the employment sector. Is that correct? Look, I don't know that it's a concern for all people, but I know in my company, uh, it's not that I've not hired someone because she's of childbearing age, but I generally feel quite relieved that because we look for graduates and because the positions we hire graduates into have a lifespan of two and three years, I like my, I don't budget heavily for maternity leave. Because, and I vaguely at the back of my mind feel a bit lucky for that. Even though I am a woman and I have two children, um, I know that financially the burden of carrying that and wanting to give someone the maternity leave support that I would want to give someone, I feel really lucky that the employment age that I hire in isn't heavily susceptible to wanting children because we look for grads straight out of uni. So male, female, doesn't matter. They grad straight out of uni and they probably stay with us for two to three years and then they move on, which is fine and that's how it works. Um, so if I, who genuinely 100% want to support any woman that comes to me in my company and says, I'm pregnant, I would want to give them a full maternity leave package to the fullest extent that we could afford and support them, then there's loads of companies that are like, let's just not hire them. Yeah, I know. Because if it makes me feel afraid and I'm in the business of supporting women, it must make other people afraid. That's exactly right. And we can only assume that um, the, 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 the non-fairer sex probably feel even more fearful of the unknowns um, in relation to running a business and also dealing with maternity leave as well. Can I? And the big companies have budgets for that and they're not even making progress. That's right. Like if, if someone like a bank can place an $8 billion profit, they can support someone through maternity leave. But if a small business is month to month um, and maybe if cash flow goes down, they can survive for two months, then this is a massive fear for them. Yeah, and a legitimate one as well. And I think that that's, you've raised a really good point about uh, understanding that that, that is a concern um, and maybe that the, the gender pay gap is not something that's attainable but needs to be looked at in other ways rather than actually being a pay gap, perhaps, you know, there's got to be targets set. If if women go away from a leave and want to come back part-time, in a big company, the pool of people of which they might share a role with or the ability of that company to hire two people part-time to make up the one person, small companies are stretched for talent as it is because they don't have the branding and recognition. So if someone comes back from maternity leave and says, I want to work part-time, where are they going to find the other half a person from? Indeed. It's not as easy as just scoping the one of the 35,000 employees that they have. Yeah, you raise so a good point. There's no talent pool there to Return to work becomes harder. Indeed, indeed. Now, let me just draw you back to the, um, the conversation we were having earlier about... Uh, becoming a true leader. I just want to wrap up today's conversation with having a chat about the evolution of becoming a leader. In your mind, when you're training people at the Leadership Institute in this way, do you train for the fact that becoming a leader can sometimes be very um, immediate because of perhaps a wonderful opportunity that's presented itself or fast-paced growth within your industry or your business? Or do you see it more as a slow burn and evolution and a... I guess, a growth in, um, in those leadership skills? 
I think it's twofold. I think there are people that are thrust into a leadership position because of necessity um, and experience. But I also think the growth to a leader happens almost as soon as you enter the workforce. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Liz Ellis um, a couple of years ago, and she says, you're a leader to your community, to your friends, to your family, to the people that you interact with. You're a leader every day to everyone if you choose to be. Because how you carry yourself and how you set examples to other people and how you help and support other people in the workplace, that is leadership skills, whether you're a manager or not. Um, and it becomes easy in a bigger company. In a small company, it's a bit harder because there's less people. But in a bigger company, it comes easy to see the people who are going to be leaders because they're the ones who are, let me help you with your training now, even though it's not my job. Um, or, you know what you did over there? I think you could do it this way. This is what's worked for me, and we do the same role. They're the people that are mentoring others around them no matter what. So I think leadership happens throughout your career. It is always evolving, and whether you've got a leadership position or not, you have capacity within you to show leadership um, to the others around you. Well, Dana, you've, you've given us so much knowledge and information today. I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on Small Biz Matters. Now, tell us about uh, your event. You've got the Empowered Women event on the 26th of March. Um, may I tentatively ask, is well, that still going ahead? Uh, well, heartbreakingly, we made the decision yesterday um, to postpone that event. So we're moving it to July. So it's still going ahead. We're still going to be empowered. Um, <laughs> but we're going to be empowered in July. Fantastic. Now tell us, um, uh, where can people find out about the event and about the courses that you run at the Leadership Institute? Uh, at our, our website, which is www.theleadershipinstitute.com.au. In front of it. Fantastic. Look, thank you so much for joining us today. Dana, you've been listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. Stay with us because after the break, we've got Lalette Kalasia from All That Counts that's going to be talking us through the small business stimulus package, which is available to small businesses as of about a week ago and what to expect from that. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM with Small Biz Matters. We'll be back after this. And you are live in the studios of Triple H 100.1 FM. This is Alexi Boyd with Small Biz Matters. As usual, we've got a jam-packed show and today we are super duper educating. If you missed any of the program before the break, we were talking to Dana Lightbody, who is the CEO of the Leadership Institute, all about leadership skills as a small business owner and how to grow, how to develop, how to evolve as a leader, but also how to um, maybe change some of those practical strategies you use in your team to improve your leadership skills right now. Of course, you can catch up on any of our podcasts via smallbizmatters.com.au. There's over 150 podcasts, just like this one, lots of educational content and fabulous information. Now, lots of our small business listeners will have uh, heard in the last few days that this federal government has released a small business stimulus package, part of the overall economic stimulus. Hopefully, there'll be even more in the coming days, but... As with all things government and all things legislation and all things directive, it's very difficult to get your head around, particularly when you're not an accountant or you don't necessarily have your numbers at your fingertips at all times. And we need to know as small businesses how to take advantage of the stimulus package. And today we have Lalette Kaleja, who is the owner, founder, CEO, director, 
all things that uh, all things that are important to small business owners from all that counts um, and she's our expert when it comes to all things bookkeeping and informational when it comes to finance now Lillette before I put you on the line we should probably start by saying what we're going to be talking about in the next little while is financial advice but it is general in nature it should be absolutely not taken as uh, as independent advice for you specifically and you should absolutely seek more information from the government websites and also from your accountant and bookkeeper who can support you in this. So first of all, thank you for joining us on the program again, Lillette. Thanks, Alexi. You're welcome. And I'm so glad you um, prefaced it with that disclaimer. Indeed. Cause any, yes, because anything we, we, I do say uh, is general advice because everyone's situation will be different. And certainly as accountants and bookkeepers, uh, the finance industry knows that every single one of our clients behave differently um, and uh, I guess operate differently either with their cash flow or with their employees or even just with money in general. So it's very important that after hearing this, you guys go out and seek some further advice, although don't necessarily all bombard your accountant at once because (laughs) I'm sure it's been a busy little while for the finance industry. Yes, yeah, no, it, it's it's been interesting, and and I think like with anything that the government um, you know passes through, we have a lot of time to digest the information, and to also give us time as you know bookkeepers and accountants to get our businesses ready to deal with it. But unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of time on our hands either, uh, and we need to really uh, act quickly. And, and I guess you touched on it before about having good financials and this is the time when having good financials is really going to benefit you the most. Businesses, unfortunately, who aren't up to date with their bookkeeping, uh, it's not going to be so simple for them to, uh, I guess, get their bases done and take advantage um, quickly. They will be able to take advantage, but it's going to be a little bit longer, I guess. So, you know what? We've always said having um, good financials, you never know when you need it. And guess what? This is when you need it. Indeed. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's like having a pantry stocked full of stuff as a small business owner, yeah. really. Having all that knowledge at your fingertips because we live in a world where you can have real-time data and real-time financial information almost day by day. And um, you need to dedicate some time or dedicate some assets and costs to making sure you've Correct. got a finger on yeah. the pulse. Yeah, um, yeah. so I, I can speak from my experience. My client, I mean, we sent out a newsletter on the weekend, updated them all on the stimulus package. Clearly we couldn't um, cater it specifically for them because everyone's situation is different, but we've had really good feedback, really good questions from some of our clients, and it's been really easy to go in and just plug away and go, yep, this is what you need to do, this is what your refund will look like because their numbers are up to date. So step me through the small business stimulus package and exactly what it means to small business. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, Look, and I'll preface it again with there's still a little bit of uncertainty out there um, onto some things and I'm reading a lot of questions out in different uh, groups for accountants and bookkeepers, um, but this is what we know. So I'll share what I know and I'll share um, how I think it will impact uh, businesses. Thank you. So we know there are four elements of the stimulus package. Um, so it's it's around business investment, cash flow assistance for business, those that are also affected in, re- um, in, in regions where have recently been affected by, you know, fires and, and, and floods, 
Um, and there's also a one-off stimulus payment to lower income households. But I'll take you through each one of them and what they mean. So the business investment. So we all know that as a small business, we're able to claim up to 30,000 as an instant tax write-off. The government has now increased that to 150,000 per asset, okay? So that mean, it doesn't mean that you're getting back 150,000. Uh, it means that you can claim. So let's just say a business has, I'll give you an example. A business makes a net profit of 50,000. Okay, they're going to pay tax at 27.5% on that and they'll pay 13750 With this stimulus package, let's just say that a business goes out and buys a, a motor vehicle or a piece of equipment for 40000 They've got the same profit. So their net profit becomes 10000 not fifty, because they're able to claim that instant tax write-off. That therefore gives them a saving, an income tax saving of 11000 so no longer are they paying thirteen thousand seven fifty on their income tax. They're paying only two thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars. So can I just uh, just speak basically? This basically takes the place of depreciation as we know it. Correct. It's an instant tax writer. So rather than depreciating the asset over the useful life, so if you've bought a you know a car, you can depreciate that over five years or whatever um, the useful life is. You're actually able to claim that upfront. Now, from what I understand as well, um, it doesn't replace the, um, what do you call it, the depreciation limits um, for luxury cars, okay? So that, that hasn't been removed. So you can still only claim up to 57,000 something for, for motor vehicles. So anyway, refer talk to your accountant about that but it doesn't remove that component okay so you can still only claim what you are able to claim in motor vehicles motor vehicles is probably a bad example because everyone's scenario is different with vehicles um so that's why let's just say it's a piece of equipment for forty thousand dollars now take me through what happens with the pay as you go withholding situation yes okay so that is okay and also the question's been asked around sole trade so let me just um, answer that as well. As a sole trader, if you are, um, um, you don't take wages as a sole trader, so you are not entitled to this benefit of the PAYG refund, 50% refund. If you have staff, you are entitled to that based on the with tax withheld that you withhold from your staff. Okay, so, so what it is, it's 50% of your PAYG. So, if you have a, um, if you are reporting, say W one, let's just say you know seventy thousand, and then W two, which is your PAYG withheld, say of um, ten thousand dollars in the March quarter, so you're a quarterly lodger, the government's going to give you a fifty percent refund on that ten thousand dollars on the PAYG. The maximum you can claim in the two quarters is going to be up to 25000 So if your PAYG is only for the next two quarters, is say in total um, 30000 you will get 15000 back. Okay, that's how it will work for the quarterly lodgers. If you're on a monthly lodger, it is still the same amount 
but you're lodging monthly. And the first month you lodge will be March. And from what I understand, you they will multiply that by three times to make it equal and then still calculate it at 50%. And then you still lodge April, May and June. So okay, if, you're, if so you're lodging monthly, uh, are you saying that they will calculate those three months and pay it in advance? Is that where is that where the payment uh, date? No, comes they from? don't. They don't pay it in advance. Okay, so you won't start seeing your first payment until probably around the twenty eighth of April. And let me just ask you about that uh, that date that's been floating around. Mm-hmm. If you are super duper organised and you have a super duper fabulous bass agent who goes, I'm going to get everything done for you <laughs> yeah, within a week, <laughs> um, and then you lodge immediately, is that going to yeah. speed up the uh, ability to get paid? Do you think, or again, are they still saying the twenty eighth? They're, from what I'm reading, uh, Alexi, they're saying the 28th. They're saying credits are available from the 28th of April. And I think that's just to give also the, the, the ATO time to also get the administration right as well. So that's from what I understand. I, again, it's probably one of those unknowns still that's out there. But from what I'm reading, credits are available from the 28th of April. And could I just play devil's advocate here? Uh, Mm -hmm. Okay, say for example, you have a PTYLTD and you're currently employing yourself and another person in the business. What's to stop you from doubling your salary for the two quarters for March and June for those two quarters when you're lodging your bass, doubling your salary and and then getting that benefit back? Is there anything... Mm -hmm. To stop you doing that? Well, there's there's nothing stopping you um, because clearly that's part of I guess. Let's. Do, I mean, it's it's no different to tax planning with your accountant. Your accountant will say to you, "Hey, I think we need to up your salary. Let's do that." But what I would advise everyone is to do that in consultation with their accountant because you don't. You need to make sure that if you do do that, that um, there's no other effects. Um, now, having said that, the ATO is also going to watch out for those that who are, you know, exploiting the system. It's not for that. It's, I mean, if you haven't drawn a salary, um, but, but if you don't have the cash flow to pay that salary, then that will go against your loan account as well. Yeah. So do, you, do you know what I mean? So um, you need to really talk to your accountant because if you have an existing loan account, comes tax time and that needs to either A, be declared as a dividend or taken as wages, then you don't want to be in a position where you're having to pay additional tax down down the track. So anything you do with playing around with your wages, I would highly suggest consult with your accountant first and get them to have a look at your overall position to see if that's the kind of advice that they would give you anyway when it comes to 30th of June. So Always take that into account. I know it's very attractive to take up the cash component and that's what it's for. So an example would be if you do have a debit loan account sitting on the balance sheet, okay, now's the time to probably look at declaring some of that as wages and some of it as dividends because take advantage, yes, of the 50%. You've taken the money out of the business. So essentially, yeah, so you can declare that as wages. That's my advice Um, and I've spoken to lots of accountants and they're all on the same page as me as well. Now, what what about 
sole traders because um, th- to me it's it's incredibly unfair uh, because oh. we can't you know, as a sole trader, you're not permitted to employ yourself. Uh, yes. And so, and you're not getting the benefit of the PAYG withholding. You may not have apprentices and you may not be receiving Centrelink assistance. So is this a huge swathe of small business owners that are literally going to miss out on everything? Yeah, look, it's, I wouldn't say, I know that there is another package being released. I've heard rumours. Um, and who knows, they might include um, sole traders. Maybe there have been enough sole traders out there saying, hey, this really isn't fair. Uh, but I guess they're looking at it from the point that the sole trader is currently pays marginal income tax, not company tax. So, um, yeah, there, there is no um, you know, upfront kind of real cash benefit to them at this stage unless they took advantage of the instant um, tax write-off. But again, they would have to wait until they do their tax return to see that benefit come through and it could be too late for those sole traders. And you've um, got to assume that people have got $50,000, $60,000 lying around to spend in the first place. Absolutely. And that's something, you know, I guess it goes without saying. Um, and I think everyone knows that. You don't go out and buy yourself, you know, a 40,000 piece of equipment if you don't have the funds in the bank account. So... And finally, take yeah. me through the uh, the apprentices at, at, at stimulus that the, that relates to hiring apprentices. Okay, um, so that one is a you get yourself a twenty one up to twenty one thousand um, dollars back from the government if you have an apprentice. So um, because I don't actually have apprentices. Um, I'm not really um, that okay with it. But from what I understand, eligible employees can apply for a wage subsidy of 50% of the apprentice's um, wages. During the nine months from January 2020 to September 2020, okay, they will be reimbursed up to a maximum of $21,000 per eligible apprentice or 7000 a quarter. Now, that's a lot of money because I don't know a lot of apprentices who would be earning, say, you know, um, $42,000. And this is based so, on their wages rather than on their pay as you go withholding because you and I both yes, know that gross wages, withholding yes. is great providing that you're actually withholding tax. If you've got someone who doesn't earn a great deal and they're under the threshold, you're not even holding tax from them anyway, so there's no advantage there. However, having said that, um, the ATO is also um, everyone who withholds tax will get a minimum of $2,000 anyway. Okay, so 25 is the maximum on that PAYG, but everyone will get $2,000 credit, whether... They um, whether they declare or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, so credit's indeed. available, yeah. So they'll get a, a $2,000 credit again and that will be available from the 28th of April. So with the apprentices though, so you can essentially, you can, it's like kind of double dipping because if they fall under the PAYG, you're going to get 50% of that. Yes. Plus you'll get um, 50% of their wages from January to September 2020. 
And apparently you can begin to employ, employ apprentices as well to take advantage of this or is it only if you've got existing apprentices on the books from January? If you have existing, uh, if you have existing ones, but if they leave and you replace them, that still is that that is fine from what I understand. Okay, um, so employees, where, where I've got this here. Uh, yeah, so eligible small businesses are those employing fewer than twenty full time employees who retain an apprentice or trainee, with the apprentice or trainee being in training with a small business as at first of March twenty twenty. So they had to have been in your employment. On the 1st of March, 2020. So you can't suddenly go okay. out and start employing 20 apprentices no, that, all of a sudden. Correct. Yeah, that's right. That's not going to work. But if you have one and they leave and you replace them, that to me is it's still fine. You can claim. Now, just finally, Lalette, um, and for those of you listening, you're listening to Small Biz Matters on Triple H 100.1 and across the community network. We're talking all about the small business stimulus package, which was announced a little while ago. Fingers crossed there might be even further announcements in the coming weeks. Uh, Lalette, take me through um, your ex- what your experience has been with hardship and the ATO at the moment. Are they being more flexible and more reasonable when it comes to people who are in cash flow strife? Because obviously we're going to have huge swathes of the economy unable mm-hmm. to meet their obligations. What's been your experience in the last couple of weeks with the ATO and do you think there's any change uh, afoot from the accounting industry's perspective? Look, I think this um, the stimu- stimulus package speaks volumes in itself that they didn't muck around and we're very lucky that the, the government um, has, has done this. It's massive, $17.6 billion and, and it's not going to stop there. So I think in their interest, what, what that says to us is that they're serious about helping businesses stay in business. So whilst we know that you know this, the stimulus back into the business is not the answer to keep our doors open, um, it's, it's great, but it's not going to keep our doors open if this continues for six months. So what I'm... Um, what I'm hearing out there and what I'm suggesting to clients is, number one, yes, keep your superannuation payments up to date. You need to do that because I don't think there's going to be any um, – no one's going to relax on that. Yeah, okay? I'm hearing there's zero flexibility yeah. on that yeah, from the zero, zero flexibility because at the end of the day, this is all we have is our super. Yes. So make sure you get that paid, okay? Um, now, in terms of the ATO, yes, I believe they are going to be flexible. You need to contact them or get your accountant to contact them. Arrange a payment plan. Now, the payment plan can be up to two years, honestly, and if you can pay it off sooner, that's great, but contact them. Don't feel that you you, you know you need to pay all your ATO debts in one go. Uh, that's not that's not going to happen, particularly as businesses start to lose clients because their clients have gone under. Um, they're going to be running lean and they're going to have these debts. Um, you want to do what you can to keep your staff employed and just you know look at look at cutting down a lot of costs, subscription things. You know we bleed subscriptions. We pay for things we don't need. Do we really need that Spotify account? Do we need those iTunes things? No, we don't. And you've probably found you've saved yourself $200 there. That can go into your, your tax debt or pay your super. Um, the the other thing I would suggest is speak to your bank account. You know, take 
take advantage if you can. Again, it comes down to if you've got good financials, there's no reason why a bank would not give you an overdraft facility. And from what I understand, they're actually wavering a lot of the fees as well. So take advantage of that. Um, get yourself a credit card if you don't have a business credit card. But again, use that with caution. Don't use it as a means to, I guess, you know, if your business isn't profitable and it's not doing well, then that's not going to help your situation. But if you have been running a profitable business up until now um, and you know you just need to get through the next six months, then these are the things that I would do. Um, everyone is going to be bleeding money. Everyone needs to be understanding and we all need to have a sense of tolerance and work with people and accept payment plans from each other as well. And I think, you know, that's going to be the difference between keeping your doors open um, and, and shutting them down if we can all just support each other. Uh, and, and that's what I plan to do as well. You know, if, if clients say to me, look, you know, we still need you, but can we, I mean, we're on direct debits anyway, but we might be able to do something for our clients. And I think that's what we need to do. It's a case-by-case -case scenario because some of our clients won't be affected at all. Some will actually boom out of this too. There are some industries that will do really well out of this. Well, yeah, you raise some good points when it comes to supporting one another. I didn't even think of the idea of offering clients out there payment plans uh, to pay things over time. And, uh, and, and this is, I don't, believe, I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an expert, but the expectations that I'm hearing in the media is is between six and 12 months. So oh. if you do spread out those debts with the ATO and you can keep yourself afloat and you spread it out over two years, then certainly you'll be you'll have those abilities. Lele, um, we're coming to the top of the hour. I just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing with us all of your um, expertise when it comes to small business, uh, cash flow, um, the, you know, the day-to-day -day operations of what it means to be in business. Uh, just a quick plug, tell us where people can find out more about you and how to access your services. Okay, best way is to go onto my website. It's www.allthatcounts.com.au and if you would like to book a meeting with me or send me an email, um, just go to the contact um, me page. And it'll go, come straight into my inbox. Fantastic. And thank you so much. Lillette is one of our advocates for the industry and one of our big small business supporters here on Small Biz Matters. I'd like to thank her once again for coming on Small Biz Matters. Now, if you've missed any of today's program, you have missed a truckload of information. We have just finished covering the Small Business Stimulus Package, which was released by the government uh, a few days ago, which you can keep completely up to date with by listening to the podcast, which should be available in the next few days on iTunes. At the top of the program, we also heard all about leadership skills and how to improve those as a small business owner. You can listen to over 150 podcasts by Small Biz Matters available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and also through smallbizmatters.com.au. I'm not even going to tell you about all the events that are available on the Small Biz Matters calendar because most likely they've all been cancelled. But look after yourselves, uh, stay safe, look after your cash flow, think about ways that you can lean down your um, your your ex expenses that are outgoings at the moment and um, just look after one another and, and keep in touch with your family, friends and small business colleagues to check in on one another, even if it is remotely. You've been listening to Small Biz Matters here on Triple H 100.1 FM. Stay safe, everyone. Stay sane. Don't forget to breathe and we'll see you all next week.